Hey friends, if you wish you weren't hearing an ad right now, then straight after you listen to this episode, head over to watchnebula.com slash not overthinking with a little hyphen thing in between the not and the overthinking. So watchnebula.com slash not dash overthinking. Through Nebula, you'll firstly get access to all of our podcast episodes ad-free. Secondly, you'll see exclusive content from me and a load of other educational-ish creators. And thirdly, it directly supports this podcast. So you'll incentivize me and Tame to record more episodes. My name is Ali, I'm a doctor and YouTuber. I'm Taymor, I'm a data scientist and writer. And you're listening to Not Overthinking, the weekly podcast where we think about happiness, creativity, and the human condition. Hello, and welcome back to Not Overthinking. Taymor, how are you doing today? I'm doing okay. Uh, I've been back in the UK now for a few days. Uh, pretty tired right now. It's uh, it's almost 11pm, but it's nice to be nice to be here talking to you, Ali. How are you doing? Oh, thanks, man. I'm actually doing great. Uh, I've, I've got to be honest, I'm kind of a bit gutted that I'm talking to you right now because oh. uh, I've been on call the, this weekend. And then on the way home from work, I was listening to sort of the climax bit of book three of uh, the, uh, what's it called? Uh, the Wheel of Time series on Audible. And now it's gotten to like a really, really sick bit where like the heroes are all like converging and like, you know, attacking the villain. And it's kind of like stopping uh, an anime fight, like mid fight oh, no. so that yeah. you can record a podcast with your brother. So, you know, it's... It's a bit gutting, Dude, that but, sucks. you know, I'm here. We are recording the episode. Um, anyway, what what are we talking about today? So you said you had, you listened to a good podcast recently. Um, that's I did. sparked some ideas. Um, quite. So recently, uh, one of my favorite YouTubers, a guy called Peter McKinnon, uh, released a podcast episode with one of his YouTuber friends, whose name is Matty Hapojo. We'll link their podcast and channels in the, in the show notes uh, for whatever that's worth. Um, and there, so in their podcast, they were talking about kind of the the unseen uh sort of uh below the water below the iceberg tip kind of stuff about being a youtuber and i thought that was interesting because uh the sorts of lifestyles that these guys have are probably the sorts of lifestyles that lots of us aspire to like you know peter mckinnon has four point something million youtube subscribers he's clearly a multi-millionaire from it he gets to travel the world and kind of make videos of traveling and stuff and it was interesting hearing the behind the scenes about how actually that's you know, that's, it's, it's not all it's cracked up to be. Um, and so after listening to that, I was curious about how you and I find this in our, in our own lives. Cause I imagine sort of when people see our lives from the outside, like you're this sort of jet setting startup founder and, and stuff. Uh, and I'm supposedly this like as kind of D list celebrity YouTuber, uh, <laughs> then I feel like it would look a little bit sort of ideal or yeah, I don't know. I just wonder to what extent we are to what extent this it's like a performance versus kind of reality that's very interesting so what, what, let's start with what, what what did peter mckinnon say about uh yeah his lifestyle because i mean from my perspective he seems to be living living a dream you know that <laughs> seems, seems like a good gig he's got yeah i think he would he would agree that it's a good gig uh but for example uh i think the impression people have of sort of big famous YouTubers like that is that they can just kind of make whatever video they want, whatever they want and kind of live life on their own terms. But he was talking a lot about the kind of internal thoughts and feelings that go with that, which is that actually you can't make whatever you want. You have to, you find yourself starting to only make the sorts of thing that could panders to the audience because you know it's going to get the views. And then you find yourself very focused on the numbers because you know that you've got this like really amazing thing going and you don't want the house of cards to fall down in case you take your foot off the pedal. And kind of all of the various bits associated with that um, seem to be the kind of genre of issues that he was having with the whole being a YouTuber thing. Um, and then sort of 
feeling the need to churn out content even though you're not feeling inspired by it and sort of uh, kind of first world problems like that oh okay did did you sort of echo any of these i mean so i I think lots of people are quite intrigued by the sort of youtuber lifestyle and i yeah i think from the outside there's certainly uh lots of aspects of it that seem really great you know like getting recognized in the streets and getting all the like this free stuff and having all these people like care about what you're you know brushing when you're brushing your teeth and and all this kind of stuff (laughs) um so like yeah, I mean, but I, it doesn't sound the, the stuff that Peter McKinnon said. It doesn't it doesn't sound like the same kind of downsides that you you'd feel, right? Um, I think it sort of is, just to to like a lesser extent. So like the issues that I have with it are first, like I I fully appreciate this sense of uh, sort of I can't believe this is working so well at the moment. Therefore, if if I don't kind of keep it up, then this is all going to fall fall down around me and I'm going to end up broken homeless. You know, that yeah. kind of thought pattern. And to be honest, I even I even had that through the whole six med stuff. Uh, so for, for our listeners who don't know, I used to run a uh, sort of med school admissions company called six med, uh, started it with my, my friends at university. Um, and now we've kind of got a team that's managing it day to day, but I don't do a lot of it anymore. But like when I was fully, fully sort of building it and running it and stuff, it was very much like, Oh my God, I can't believe this is actually working. This is mental. And any time that I wasn't working on it, I would feel like, you know, this sense of anxiety tugging at me that, uh Oh, what if it's all gonna, yeah, you know, uh, yeah. How, how's, how's this going to survive if I'm not kind of continually putting effort into it? Um, and I suppose that is again, a very sort of first world problem and it's a nice problem to have, but that's something that I guess I didn't quite appreciate until I made something that was successful because at the start, when you're kind of building something, you're just like, Oh, it's all fun and games and yeah, whatever. But then as soon as you have any level of success, then inevitably you start kind of sort of running on the treadmill yourself. Yeah, sure. So do you, if you feel a pressure to like churn out content just, you know, because it seems people seem to be liking it right now at this point in time. Oh God. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) Um, that's like the only thing I think about in my life. Um, that was a good, a good thing that I came across on Twitter uh, a few weeks ago, which is that it was something along the lines of, you know, what's the thing that you think about in the shower? Uh, and if that thing is related to your job, then, then you're winning at life. And if it's not, then you need to think about why you're doing your job. And the thing that I think about in the shower is how, how I can churn out more content wow. <laughs> as opposed to anything to do with medicine in the slightest. Uh, so that really kind of hit home and I was like, oh, this is interesting. Um, what, what proportion of your, yeah, I, I guess when you sit down to like make some content, which I guess for you is like mainly a YouTube video or uh, email newsletter, perhaps like what proportion of times do you actually not want to do it? And it's like, ah, oh, I'm doing this even though I don't want to do it. And I get that that's a simplistic framing of it. And there's always going to be a bit of, I don't want to do it and a bit of, I want to do it and a bit of like long-term wanting to do it and short-term not wanting to do it and all this kind of stuff. So, yeah, I think it's, it's quite hard for me to, to disentangle all of that stuff because I've beca- I sort of imbibed all of this productivity, growth mindset, like all, all of this kind of mindset stuff over the years to the point where if I even have the the hint of a thought process that I don't want to make this video, I, it'll it'll get overruled by all the, <laughs> all the training <laughs> yeah. from uh, and 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 all the various kind of famous people I follow and all the books and all the quotes and all the tweets. Yeah. Be like, no, <laughs> this is good. This is what you got to you, do. You just hear Gary Vee like, in your head saying, <laughs> "You got to be producing content." <laughs> exactly. Yeah, it's all about the content. Um, yeah, I just hear that voice uh, multiple times. Uh, I think it's uh, similar to how I've 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 had comments from people saying that whenever they feel lazy, lazy, they feel they hear my voice in their head saying motivation is a myth. <laughs> Discipline is what, <laughs> what counts. So it's sort of like that, but I'd, I'd actually say that 
like like at the moment the majority of videos i release i am to kind of going through the motions rather than kind of actively wanting to do it but i don't know like i don't know to what extent that's a a reflection on 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 the specific thing that i'm doing because i feel like everyone kind of has that to to a degree like yeah what about you do, do you wake up in the morning feeling enthused to you know <laughs> write some more code or email some more people to try and plug your startup to them yeah i think on on some days definitely on some days less so um yeah it's i think it's always it's always like a mix right what do you mean it's always it's always like a mix yeah there's there's always days when you're like more enthusiastic about it than other days um but yeah i i think what my attitude towards is well the thing is yeah i think broadly i'm i'm pretty into it and you know there's nothing i'd rather be doing um and usually what you know once i've gotten out of bed i'm pretty motivated to to do stuff (laughs) i think for me personally (laughs) getting now getting out of bed is fine on or unless i'm like sleep deprived um but I've actually found that previously this used to be the thing that I used to think about in the shower and at the gym and stuff. Um, and now I almost try actively not to think about it in the shower or at the gym because I know that kind of taking a break from that particular headspace will actually help because the, the kind of day-to-day stuff of like, you know, sending emails, writing code, that's all well and good and you have to do that. Um, but I think like, making making space to sort of free your mind from the weeds so that you can uh you know so so that inspiration can strike i think that's actually really important and yeah to sort of not actively thinking about it in the shower and not actively thinking about it in the gym has actually meant that the uh, most of the important big picture insights have come during downtime when i'm not actively thinking about it and it just sort of arrives okay well, what do you mean by big picture insights? Like, what's what's an example of something that struck you while you were kind of sitting on the sofa? Uh, the, uh, a lot of it is like, it requires a lot of context about like the product. So like sort of product insights about like, oh, whoa, this feature that we've kind of been thinking about is actually this exactly this, you know, it's just the other side of the coin of this other thing that we've been thinking about. And, it, and like all the pieces just fall into place and you just kind of realize that, you know, it's all like together. Uh, so there's stuff like that. And then there's also just sort of... Uh, stuff around like yeah i guess sort of strategy stuff like yeah yeah basically almost every time i go to the gym i will have some realization of like wow this this thing is just really obvious that like we should be doing this at x or like we shouldn't be doing y or something like that and it doesn't happen when you're in the weeds and it doesn't you can't you also can't really try to think of you know you can't sit there like really Mm. focusing on trying to get some insights you know (laughs) it's just not how it works (laughs) Um, so I actually don't, I actually don't really think about it in the shower and, uh, and at the gym actively really. Oh, okay. So I have similar kind of moments of insight, uh, about like the YouTube channel and the business that surrounds it. Uh, but mine usually happens when I'm in the car and driving to and from work. Hmm. So usually if like, like I've, so, um, often I keep my brain occupied by either listening to podcasts or listening to audiobooks. Yeah. These days, audiobooks, I'm getting to like a really good, big, uh, uh, a really good bit of this one. But on some days, I just think, you know what, I'm just going to drive in silence. And then I just kind of let my mind wander. Yeah. And in those moments of like mind wandering, when I'm not actively thinking about anything, I think, wait a minute, <laughs> that sort of content is exactly the same as that sort of content. <laughs> and oh my God, this would create an entirely new kind of content. And then there's so many people that I can kind of piggyback off of this content, which will make farm content. And farm content is ideal to have because then I can churn it out every month. And that's one sponsored video down at least. And then <laughs> and then kind of the, the, the thought process continues. Nice, yeah. 
Um, so uh, changing gears a little bit, I was, I'm actually curious about this. So like, um, at the moment, the deadline has just passed for applying for jobs for next year for junior doctors. So a few of my friends are applying for higher training pathways and stuff. Um, and, uh, our mom's gonna sort of have a stroke when she hears this, but I, I actually I actually didn't even realize the deadline was go- was gone <laughs> oh, <laughs> until nice. people at work started uh, until people at work started saying stuff like, "Oh, you know, have you applied for anything?" I was like, "Wait, what? <laughs> we were supposed <laughs> to apply for stuff?" Because <laughs> yeah, I kind of knew in the back of my mind that the ap- applications were kind of around November December time. I just had no idea that the deadline had had come and gone. Okay, so like I have absolutely no options about things that I'm going to do from August onwards. So now I've got like this whole sort of free time that's just freed up. And I've been having this real crisis of purpose thinking, oh crap, I don't wait, know what, what do to do mean? when, wait, wait, I, don't when, understand. when what I could do, what do you anything. Mean? So you're going to be jobless from August. Is that, is that this? Correct. That was yeah, happening? I'm going to, I'm going to be, I'm going to be jobless from August. But that was and always I don't know how to deal this with is, that. Because, this is like the year out, right? Like you were always planning to do that. Yeah, this is like the year out. But like I, I had sort of vaguely thought, oh, you know what? I might apply to something. But, you know, now that this, you're out is definitely happening because it, you know oh, okay. <laughs> I've you've taken cast my dice as it were yeah. exactly. I can't I kind of don't know what I'm I'm going to do with all that time. So uh, I I was curious as to sort of how how the, how that kind of works for you when you can decide to do whatever the hell you want whenever the hell you want. Like how how does it work? How do you find meaning in life? Uh, so me personally, there are there are some days when I own my time and I can do whatever I want. There are other days basically. The way the way things kind of work for me is that, you know, we have a bunch of people, people like sign up for our product and then we try and have a phone call with them so we can show them like a demo of the product. And to, to, to schedule this phone call, I basically send them a Calendly link, which means they can book a time in my calendar whenever they want. Yeah, you know, I had a call. Yeah, it's a Saturday. Today, I had a call at 5 p.m. I have a call at 2 p.m. tomorrow. It's Sunday. I'm going to be at my friend's house that I'm going to for lunch at, uh, you know, tomorrow afternoon but i'm gonna to have to like find 30 minutes in his bedroom to, to take this call monday i basically have calls back to back from 3 p.m to 9 p.m and so like uh, there is sort of forced structure from things like that and like on a day like monday where it's just like a ton of calls it's actually kind of nice it's like all right man we're gonna wake up gonna have some breakfast and then the rest of the day it's just it's just going to happen right <laughs> i don't have to make too many decisions yeah. about what i'm doing um and then other days is like, uh, and then after like one or two days like that, then it, then you have like a day where you, you don't have any calls. You you have like a, a lot of control of your time. And then that's actually really nice because like, whoa, okay, now I can like do all these things that I was hoping to do. So I think having a mix of like some days of like a lot of structure that is kind of out of your hands, it kind of makes you appreciate the days when you don't, uh, when you don't have the structure and you kind of use that a bit more freely. And that's nice. Um, but I think every day kind of being completely free and nice. I don't know, it's hot. Maybe some people are good at dealing with that, but yeah, certainly like, for example, tomorrow is a Sunday. I'm I'm meeting up with a bunch of friends. I do want to get some work done. However, I can I can quite easily imagine waking up tomorrow and it's like, oh, yeah, you know, oh, I get, there's a few work things I wanted to get done this weekend. I can probably do it later. I just want to hang out with friends or whatever. On Monday, I can't do that because I have to, take these phone calls right so like even if i'm feeling lazy or whatever you know this stuff has to get done so yeah in, in terms of my life it's like a mix of like structure and you no know, structure so i think having some days of uh obligatory commitments is, is good 
Okay. Yeah, because what I was thinking is that I might try and take on some more like uh, colleges for supervising physiology, and and that would be like two evenings a week that would kind of be structured for the eight week long terms, and then maybe do some communication skills classes and, and things like that, which would be kind of whole day events, kind of randomly, and those would be the structured days, whereas the unstructured days would be kind of every other day. And I was thinking that I would kind of force myself to to kind of give myself structure on the unstructured days. So I had this like grand vision that okay, I'd, I'd make myself wake up at like seven o'clock each morning. I'd start off by going to the gym or something. And then I would schedule out like in my calendar an hour for like guitar or musical theory or piano each day, an hour for language learning. Uh, then I'd go down to a coffee shop and do an hour of writing. And sort of this mm-hmm. idyllic routine where I'm like kind of planning like, oh my God, from August where I, you know, my time is my own and I don't have a full-time job. This is going to be sick. Yeah. Uh, yeah. In theory, that kind of stuff is is pretty good. I, I we just see how it actually plays out but but what is actually the point of this year out like why why would you want to take on extra supervision stuff rather than spend more time making youtube videos or whatever um because there's only so much time you can spend making youtube videos really like you know even if i went full-time youtube i probably wouldn't want to make more than two or three videos a week um i mean that would be pretty much a full-time full-time job trying to do three videos a week but like given that for me personally, my goals are kind of to stay in medicine part-time, to do a lot of medical education stuff, and also to do YouTube. It makes sense to explore those other avenues rather than just focus on trying to churn out the next piece of farm content. Oh, okay. Yeah, sure. That makes sense. So going going back to the sort of the topic at hand, unlike the YouTube stuff, I think when a lot of, uh, from the outside, I think when people look at sort of a uh, YouTube or whatever, a lot of the external stuff is like, you know, the fame and the fortune and all this kind of stuff. Is that, is that actually good? Like, how, how uh, is it still nice getting recognized in the streets and things? Or is it kind of like, are you sort of used to it? How quickly do you get used to this stuff? Uh, I don't get recognized in the streets that often to, uh, for, for, it to become, for it to become an annoyance. It's just always really nice. I'm just like, oh, this is, this is kind of cool. Um, and yeah, I, do, I, do, I don't really see any downsides at all to it. I think I'm now getting to the point where, so I've, I've got this thing where on, on my website, I, I, I have this stunning offer open that if anyone wants to come to Cambridge and hang out, then I'll buy them a coffee, no questions asked. And that was fantastic, like for the first year or year and a bit where I was getting maybe one email every two or three weeks and I'd meet people in the hospital because I was working in like actually within Cambridge and it was easy enough to meet people for coffee after work. But now I'm, I'm, I'm getting all these people who want to hang out with me and I, I want to hang out with them, but it's like I'm I'm working in this village that's an hour's drive away. They're it, they're not feasibly going to come there. Therefore, I have to get back back home to Cambridge by like seven p.m. and then kind of go out to a coffee shop to have coffee with someone. And it feels like it's eating into a lot of my time. And before I was very much uh, sort of just, just kind of say yes to everything to maximize the surface area for serendipity and to you know increase optionality and you know all these various Twitter things that you would hear. Um, but now I think I'm leaning more towards the kind of de- uh, the Derek Sivers approach to either saying hell yeah to something or saying no to the thing. Yeah. Um, so that's something that I'm I'm kind of struggling with at the moment, like to what extent that like that balance between uh, spontaneity and serendipity versus, you know what, I actually know what I want to do with my time and I can have much more effect at scale by spending an hour making a YouTube video than by spending an hour having coffee with some kid who wants to talk about medicine. Yeah, sure. Okay, that's I guess that's the getting recognized bit. What about the free stuff? Does that get boring? Oh god, yeah, the free stuff has gotten boring. So like already, um, the thing with the free stuff is that 
most of the free stuff you get you get offered is kind of fairly junk, uh, junky. Uh, I remember you said at one point that when we were younger, there was very much this mindset that the more stuff you have, the better. And like any new thing that you acquired, like whether through a present or through buying it in uh, Delawala or, you know, whatever, was was a positive. But now it's like, you know, every new item you have is kind of net negative unless it adds, adds a lot to your life because yes, it's just yeah. going to encumber you. Yeah. And so at the start, in the first few months to a year of being being a YouTuber, it was like, yeah, you want to send me a sort of 25 pound microphone that I can maybe review? Sure, send it send it on. <laughs> <laughs> and all these kind of Chinese companies being like, dear sir, we are contacting from Amazon US. We are Amazon seller. Please, would you like free thing? Uh, and then they would say all these stipulations that please sign this contract saying you have to post Amazon review, five star, et cetera, et cetera. And at the start, I was like, you know what, just like send me stuff. And if I like it, I'll, I'll review it. But now I just have to ignore the vast, vast majority of those emails. It's only been emails from people like LG where I've thought, oh, you know what, this is actually legit. I will happily, <laughs> happily take this free monitor you're offering me. Yeah. Um, so that's kind of the side of it that I probably wouldn't have have known about. I, w- I would have just thought and I did think for the first year that, oh, free stuff. Yeah. Yeah. I'll, <laughs> I'll take two. Yeah. OK, that's interesting. What kind of what kind of like other people slash lifestyles do you look at and think, man, that that actually that that seems pretty good externally. So for me, it's like it's I'm really falling into that whole uh, hedonic treadmill thing, whereby when you reach a certain level of whatever, you then adapt to it and it becomes the new normal, and then yeah. the goalpost shifts. Uh, so like at the start, it was like, oh my god, if I hit five thousand subscribers, then I'll be sorted, and then it was like ten thousand, and then it was like fifty, and then it was like a hundred, and now. I kind of look at people who've got like a million plus subscribers and and sort of uh, sort of in my head work out how much money they're mo- they're making each month and thinking oh you know if I were making that much money each month then I'd be completely sorted, and I feel I I can sense the goalpost kind of changing in my mind and that's really bad like yeah. I, I don't I really don't want to be thinking like that at all and so anytime I find myself doing it I have to sort of um, you know, recite all these tweets and quotes and mantras yeah, and stuff yeah. <laughs> from the years about how money doesn't actually bring happiness and, and all this stuff. Yeah. But like, so there's a guy called uh, Graham, Graham Stephen, I think. He's a, he's a YouTuber. I don't know if you've come across yeah. him. Uh, he makes videos like uh, sort of things like how I made my $120 million real estate portfolio at age 28 oh, and God. how I bought a Tesla Model 3 for $3 a month. Uh, you know, that yeah. style of video but he's actually like really like his, his his videos are great but he's he's it's it's awesome because he does this whole like financial transparency thing really well yeah and actually just breaks down how much he earns how much he spends and stuff uh and he made a video that i watched at work today which was uh how i made forty five thousand dollars in a week and he was breaking down like okay so on monday uh i made uh three thousand dollars from youtube adsense i made five hundred dollars from youtube adsense on my second channel i made two thousand dollars from my online course sales i made twenty dollars from amazon affiliate and i made four dollars and six cents from robin hood and that takes us takes us to a total of eight thousand dollars for monday all right let's talk about tuesday and he kind of just like broke this down one by one and i was like oh that's pretty cool god this guy (laughs) (laughs) this guy um and he's on like 1.2 million subscribers and uh, you know his 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 ad revenues are insane because he's in the finance uh sector which has very high ad rates apparently on youtube but like i was kind of watching that video and the initial kind of type one reaction was sort of this sense of jealousy of like oh damn you know i wish i were making that much money each day yeah and then very quickly i had to be like no 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 this is an absolutely terrible way of thinking yeah. um i'm just happy for this guy he's doing a good job blah 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 let me take what i can learn from him and apply it to my own thing and you know that works but 
I I feel annoyed that the initial response is one of yeah. like, oh, that's really cool. I, I wish I wish I had that. So is it mainly like when you look at people who are making lots of money, and then it's like, oh man, that must be nice. Or like, are there, are there any more sort of lifestyley kind of setups that see that seem on the outset quite nice to you that you're like, oh man, I want, that that would be cool if I could live like that. So I suppose um, the the other one would be sort of the the Instagram model kind of lifestyle, <laughs> or like the travel, or like the travel vlogger bro lifestyle, where you know these are like f- photographers who make travel vlogs, and their Instagram feed is like absolutely insane, like amazing shots from all different kind of landscapes, and them posing with their six pack and kind of mid and sort of people like Sam Calder are sort of backwards somersaulting off of a cliff in Bali and. That sort of stuff where it seems like they're getting paid to fly first class around the world and take amazing photos in amazing locations. Given that I don't have any experience of doing that and it, it, feels, it feels very much like a black box where I'm like, okay, this, this seems like a really, a really ideal lifestyle, but I don't even know how you get there. Um, I, I don't have any appreciation for what that's like, unlike being a YouTuber where I know it's kind of basically what I'm doing just at a, at a higher scale. So that's, that's a lifestyle that initially I, that I, would, I would feel drawn to. What's um, the appeal of if what, I, what's the appeal there of of the kind of traveling Instagram photographer thing? Yeah, like that's the thing. Like I think if I if I actually think about it harder, then I actually probably don't want that kind of lifestyle because I'm not actually a huge fan of traveling. I'm not actually a huge fan of sightseeing. I like taking pretty pictures, but mostly that's so I can you know so they can look pretty on the gram. Um, I don't know. It just feels like we've been conditioned to believe that quote traveling the world uh, is like the dream. And I think kind of feeding into, into this kind of Instagram or aesthetic of sort of, oh my God, imagine if you were paid to travel the world and take photos of yourself, like that would be sick. It's just sort okay. of that, that I have, I just haven't really thought too critically about. Oh, okay. But like your first reaction about you? when you, when you see the, that, yeah, it's like, okay, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. I'm, yeah. It's like, whoa, that would be really cool. Yeah. I'm trying to think what, what kinds of lifestyles or so kind I suppose, of. I suppose in the, I, I suppose in the startup world, it's pretty like, you know, y- you've gotten a certain amount of funding and people who are with like a hundred times more funding than you have would be leading bigger companies and in fancier offices and stuff. Like does that sort of lifestyle appeal to you at all? Um, not really. Like I think, yeah, I, I, I don't, I, I don't particularly care for like sort of a, a lot of those obvious external metrics that sometimes people use of like, uh, you know, Oh, they've raised this much money or, Oh, whoa, there's like, a hundred employees or something. I, I I'm not really too into that. Uh, I'm I'm into revenue. I mean, I, I'd, I'd certainly <laughs> I'd certainly like it uh, if if you, you actually know. had some revenue. Uh we we're getting some revenue soon, man. We're getting some revenue soon. Uh, we got some deals soon, in the right? Sure. Yeah, yeah. We're just finalizing yeah. contracts and things. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Any any minute now. It's always in the pipeline. Yeah. <laughs> um. Yeah, but it's it's not really like a lifestyle kind of thing. I mean, yeah, obviously, like, I wish the startup is, you know, successful and lots of people use it. And, like, there's there, there are very few things as rewarding as watching someone use the product and, like, really, really like it. And so I like more of that because that's, like, a real high. Um, but, but, yeah, I think lifestyle-wise, I think lifestyle-wise, we've just been quite fortunate and, and sort of privileged with, with the, the sort of startup so far that... You know, we've done a bit of the whole digital nomad thing, kind of living in Japan for a month, and uh, I think it's highly overrated. Uh, yeah, like we're we're at the point where, like, you know, 
we don't need to worry about money and things like that and like yeah i, I guess slightly sort of post-economic where like you really don't have to think about it in the slightest you know, get whatever you want for lunch go you know get whatever you need for your work you, you don't have to think about it and that's that's nice but again like we're there now and i don't think there's really any new heights to be reached lifestyle wise uh in terms of the startup i just think like it'll be great if like more people use our thing and that that's that's the kind of thing there and like you know i've got friends who uh are kind of at the next stage in their startups where like you know they're a couple of years ahead um and you know that kind of stuff so i I know what that i know what the lifestyle looks like and it's probably the same as now just probably more more nice that more people are using your thing there's probably some downsides to having employees and things like that and yeah i think startup wise i don't really i don't really look at founders and get jealous about like oh man that founder is like living the dream larry and sergey oh they've got it made <laughs> no no <laughs> i just remind, oh my god they must have so much so much spare time <laughs> yeah uh, <laughs> yeah i don't really do that but i'm trying to think of like what other kind of lifestyle setups because i think like the startup lifestyle setup is not going to be radically different um and so there's nothing really to sort of fantasize about there like a bit like you're saying okay, with the so, youtube thing like right like a bigger youtuber is going to have broadly the same stuff going on just at a slightly higher scale yeah with like p- possibly a team of people to manage and and, and all that yeah um what so other coming back to this thing that you said about sort of uh i enjoyed your phrase uh post-economic life or, or whatever that is oh yeah so okay. um uh when so on my kind of uh in my in my day job as a doctor in case you didn't know uh i occasionally talk to to the nurses and to the other doctors and stuff and if we chat for long enough people are like oh have you got any siblings what what does what does your brother do and stuff and and so for the last few months i've 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 enjoyed kind of like painting the caricature of your life Uh, (laughs) what do you say in so it it would be for so 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 picture the scene you are at lunch surrounded by like you know three or four other other doctors some of them are senior some of them are junior whatever uh, and people are talking about oh you know i freaking hate the management because blah 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 and this is what the care quality commission said when they reviewed our hospital and you know that sort of kind of uh okay, grumbling yeah. about life as a doctor and then people are like oh so what does your brother do and then I would say something like, oh, well, you know, he's he's um, running his own startup. So he and his friend are sort of were in Hawaii for a month and, and now they're in Japan for two months. And they just kind of work from their laptops and do whatever they want. Um, so he's living the dream. Uh, and I kind of sell it in that kind of sense. And people oh, okay. are like, oh, my God, you know, we're we're all really in the in, in the wrong field. And ha ha ha. And oh, everyone kind it. of then yeah. sort of that would lead to further grumbling about how terrible medicine is as a career. Yeah. Uh, and be like, oh, you know, I need, I, you know, <laughs> I've. I've been telling my kids that they should do computer science instead and yeah kind of that that sort of stuff and I I'm always interested to hear the responses to it because inevitably people uh act as if your lifestyle is oh my god the actual dream and oh my god I hate medicine uh but I wonder to what extent you are actually living that and also whether in I don't know I feel like in the startup world especially after this like flight attendant meme there might be a lot of people being like, "Oh, it'd be really cool to be a doctor," um, and not really appreciating the, the like the amount of people grumble about it. <sighs> yeah, I think. Uh, I mean, I've said this before on the podcast. I'm very happy with uh, what I'm doing with my life. There's nothing I'd rather be doing. I can't imagine doing anything more cool or more interesting or anything I care about more than this. And I think that's great. But like, very very little of that comes from the the sort of outward stuff of like 
oh cool i'm like living in japan for a month or something like um they, that's not that kind of stuff is not the reason why it's cool um even though that's like a nice thing to be able to do so yeah i think like it's really about like the internal stuff of building this thing that you've kind of just conjured up in your mind and kind of making it reality and you know talking to people about it and occasionally people are like whoa that's really cool um and you know kind of i think i think one of the cool things is that like lucas and i lucas my co-founder between our two minds we've created we've created this massive imaginary castle that only only the two of our minds share <laughs> and we're trying to sort of <laughs> put some of that into the world and it's 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 quite cool to have this sort of imaginary castle that you just sort of built up in your head with someone else in their head and like you have this sort of shared shared kind of dream i guess where like yeah I, I don't know if i've explained that clearly i think that's quite cool but my, my my point is the cool stuff is uh mostly not the externally visible cool stuff okay but yeah the doctor thing is funny as well because like you know we've sort of grown up where uh, mimi's a doctor and like a bunch of family friends and stuff of doctors and i remember when we moved to the uk uh a doc doctor was like the only profession i'd ever been exposed to because like yeah i mean that that's all i knew and so I, I was surprised when people kind of looked up to doctors and kind of saw saw, saw medicine as like a a sought after profession like oh your mom's a doctor or something mm. i was like yeah i mean is everyone's mom a doctor basically <laughs> and that it's also interesting because like I've only ever heard about, I've only ever heard people grumbling about medicine <laughs> for basically my whole life. <laughs> uh, yeah. I'm, so when you said the flight attendant meme and you were like, yeah, I wonder if people look at that and think, oh, I wish I was a doctor. I was thinking, really? <laughs> Who the hell's going to do that? <laughs> uh, so yeah, I mean, I guess everyone has kind of a very skewed perspective. And then, so how, how do you derive meaning from your work? Like, the thing with medicine is that we can all, we can kind of fool ourselves that, oh, you know, what I'm doing is inherently meaningful and valuable to the world. And therefore I will, I'm, th therefore I'm doing it voluntarily. You know, that's the sort of the self-delusion that, that all doctors and people working in healthcare want to, want to experience that, like, you know, I'm making a difference. Therefore I will suffer all these uh, sort of uh, annoyances of being a doctor. I have an answer for you actually. And I'd first, uh, I, I, the way I think about this is that, Actually, in the doctor scenario, if I were if I were a doctor, I don't think I'd get the meaning from thinking like, oh, you know, I'm like saving this person's life or something. Because realistically, if I wasn't doing it, somebody else would be doing it. I'm not really providing a unique contribution to, to anything. And f for whatever reason, I think that is quite important for me. And so my sense of meaning comes from like, I truly believe... Uh, you know, the thing I'm working on is at the intersection of... That castle that you and Lucas are building. <laughs> yeah, the, the castle that Lu Lucas and I are building together is at the intersection of, like, all of the things that I care about. And it's, like, the perfect thing I could be doing with my skills and my experience. And genuinely, I don't think there are really many, many sort of teams of two in the world that are as well positioned to do this as Lucas and I. And this is like, yeah, I, I can't imagine making a more unique contribution to the world. Like if I wasn't doing this, someone else wouldn't be doing it. And so I think that's quite important for me. And that's part of why I think it's so cool. And if I was in the doctor scenario, I don't know, maybe 
I, I, how do you think about this actually? Like, do you think, oh man, I'm, I'm a hero, I'm like saving this patient's life? Like, is that where the meaning comes from? No, I don't in the slightest. Uh, the meaning comes from having banter with the co-workers and yeah, uh, yeah. then going home and making YouTube videos. <laughs> so <laughs> I don't know if I'm just doing it wrong. Uh, but yeah, it's it. I, uh, I think I've, I've mentioned this before, like the, the question I, I always ask people is, you know, if you, if you won the lottery, would you still be a doctor? Uh, and I asked this of some of my new colleagues earlier today. Uh, and one of them, the consultant said that, you know, there's this funny story of this guy. Um, I think it's a true story where he was, you know, a Harvard grad, Harvard medical grad, became like professor of surgery at some fancy hospital. Um, and someone asked him, you know, if you won the lottery, would you still be a doctor? And he said, mate, if I won the lottery, I would walk out in the middle of the operation. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> and, 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 he was, and, and this guy was like, yeah, you know what? If I won the lottery, I've always wanted to be a football coach. <laughs> and I was yeah. like, whoa, are you serious? <laughs> that seems like such a sort of uh, an American stereotype. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. Uh, whereas the other doctor that I was with said that actually, yeah, I probably still would do medicine because I want to keep myself busy and I really like it. And I don't know what else I'd do with my time. So it was it was kind of annoying that the, the answers were so radically different. Yeah. Um, because I don't feel much sense of meaning from I I mean yeah it's 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 nice when kind of when you make people happy and I'm on I I was an obstetrics on call these last few days uh and that was kind of cool because you're generally giving good news in that sort of a baby's coming to the world and it's healthy and alive and stuff and you know it, there's there's nothing bad that's going on. So that's kind of nice but I don't know. I don't know how much meaning I really, I really derive from it. That's interesting. I like the first doctor's response more than the second, the walking out in the operation one. That's a pretty good line. Hmm. Yeah. So I think that's probably the end of this conversation. Like I, I'm not actually sure what we discussed, uh, but <laughs> I just thought it might be interesting because I was curious about like the, the sort of uh, non-publicized bits of living a lifestyle that is on paper supposed to be quite good. And like, it is quite good, like objectively. Yeah. It's a pretty good gig. Um, there's not really much to complain about. And so that's <laughs> actually absolutely fine. Yeah. I, I feel like we've just had like a, a chat about a bunch of random things. <laughs> and uh, we're going to call that a podcast. <laughs> yeah. We need to figure out a title for this. Um, but that'll be your job because I'm, I'm on call tomorrow. So I need to sleep early. <laughs> ah. hmm. All righty. Do you uh, have any insights? Do we have any fun? Do I have any insights of the week? Uh... All right, fine. I'll read out one of my other tweets. I did a, I did a tweet uh, yesterday. I did a Twitter poll. Uh, the, the question was, if you had no points of reference, what would you think is a reasonable amount of money for the average American to spend on a wedding? All right, that's the question. So if you had no points of reference, like if you had no idea how much weddings tend to cost, what would, what would seem like a reasonable amount of money? And so the, the four options are, first, less than $1,000. Second option is 1000 to $10,000. That option is $10,000 to $30,000. And the fourth one is more than $30,000. And uh, there's been 300, uh, over 300 people responded. 10%. 300. 10%. Uh, all right, man. We're not all D-list celebrities. 10% thought that less than $1,000 is reasonable. 50% uh, thought one to $10,000 is a reasonable amount. 30% thought 10 to 30,000 and 10% thought over $30,000 for the average American, not like super rich American, not like completely broken American, the average American. Um, so yeah, 50% of people thought one to 10,000 is like reasonable. What, what, what would you say, uh, what would you have voted for in this poll? 
Oh, I voted for the uh, one to ten thousand rate. Oh, okay, cool. And do you know? Do you know how much the, the average American spends on a wedding? I suspect it's over thirty thousand. Yeah, it's actually like somewhere between thirty and forty thousand. And so, like, yeah, it's similar in the UK. Yeah, according to this poll, ninety percent of the people who uh, you know voted think like the average, um, yeah, the average wedding is like ridiculously expensive. And I and I think the cost of weddings is. It, Oh, the first time I found out how much people spend on weddings, I almost couldn't believe it. And I still can't really believe it because it just seems so insane. Like if you were thinking from scratch and you actually didn't know, you'd probably think, all right, it's my, you know, it's my wedding day. It's a pretty big deal. You know, we should, we should go all out. It's a special day. We'll go all out. I right, will spend 5k on the wedding. <laughs> you know, you probably think something yeah, like that. You know? exactly. <laughs> I think 5k would be like, oh my God, I'm spending 5,000 pounds on a single day. You, you know, that's, that's really what Yeah. Um, and yeah, just this, the, the sort of money scales are pretty insane. And uh, the whole wedding, wedding, yeah, fancy wedding culture is, uh, it's all kind of bizarre, I think. But I thought that was interesting. Um, yeah. That's, uh, there's been few things that have kind of shocked me to that, to that point of like, really, everyone's going along with this. Yeah, I had a similar sort of uh, sort of sense of shock when I I read some stats about how much Americans have put themselves in debt to buy exp- for fancy cars, and how like the average cost of a car in the U.S. is actually like forty thousand dollars, and people are sort of taking out car payment plans and uh, like th- the standard way of buying a car in the U.S. is to lease the car, uh, which is quite quite unusual in the U.K. Uh, and so people are having to do car payments on top of all the other th- other things and putting those on credit cards and. All of this sort of stuff, again, just just seemed completely insane because, you know, you can buy a decent secondhand car for a couple of grand rather than a new truck for 40,000. Um, I suppose it's similar to the wedding thing. Yeah, I mean, the the, the wedding thing, I didn't, I didn't really mean mine to be like focused on Americans. It was just like the most generic thing. But like exactly the same thing happens in the UK. Exactly the same thing happens in you know, a bunch of Asian countries and stuff. It's pretty like widespread phenomenon, I think. Like people going into debt to like afford like wedding, well, to pay for weddings they can't afford and all this kind of stuff. The older wedding flex. Yeah. Anyway, that was my insight. I thought that was a cool, cool little poll. I'd like to do more Twitter polls. Nice, you should. It's a, a good way of getting engagement on, on the Twitter or so I've heard. Mm. Speaking of the Twitter, actually, um, sort of like it's it's been kind of the the end of these podcast episodes when when you and I talk about Twitter where you convinced me to start posting on Twitter more. But it's also that like, I think... I told you about this before, like if I tweet like some kind of fortune cookie productivity tip or some random crap like that, then it'll do really well. It'll get like 400 sort of likes and 100 retweets and, and stuff. And I would be like, oh, this is awesome. People are liking my stuff. Yeah. But like, it's just like, I don't know to what extent that's like, th- that's a good thing. Because on the one hand, there is this kind of snobbery of like, you know, oh, I want to tweet pithy and interesting and uh, alternative things that only 10% of my followers will actually get the joke for because you have to have so much context about the tech world to understand the joke. There's kind of that level of wanting to perform on Twitter. And then the, there's the other level of performing on Twitter where actually, you know, posting the sorts of things that James Clear would post about how to motivate yourself to build good habits over a 10-year period is actually gen- like genuinely quite useful. And any, anytime I read those quotes, I could think, oh, you know, this is really good advice and sort of feel a bit more more motivated to not go to McDonald's for breakfast the following morning and and, and stuff like that. So... I don't know. Have you have you got any thoughts on the uh, fortune cookie type tweet versus the trying to tweet something something more? I don't know, more performative. I take issue with the performative thing. Like, there's a, I I think it, it, it's not it's not a choice between like tweeting fortune cookies and like doing some weird esoteric performance on Twitter. 
I th- predictably, I am not a huge fan of fortune cookie style tweets, and lots of people have. Uh, yeah, it's basically like general consensus now from plenty of people who use Twitter very actively that the more followers you have, the the more inevitable it becomes that you, you your account will just end up being you tweeting fortune cookies. That's like a very well-trodden path. And basically, most people also agree that that's, it's not useful and it's not interesting and it's not valuable, at least to the person doing the tweeting. So yeah, of course, you can, you can tweet out these little nuggets. Uh, hopefully people find it valuable. Um, you know, maybe, maybe they do, maybe they don't. My issue with it is that like, how is that possibly interesting for you, mate? Like, I I know you're into this productivity stuff, but like, surely, I mean, isn't it much more interesting to like, like have a conversation with the people that follow you, which, you know, like posting some random poll about some random thing you're thinking about, or just posting some random thing that you're thinking about. And, you know, can you posting a joke that you've thought of because it's funny or whatever? That just seems a lot more interesting and a lot more like conversational than like the sort of one to many kind of, I'm a big Twitter account. I'm going to impart my advice and all you peasants can like, you know, lick it up off the floor kind of thing. <laughs> I hadn't really thought of it as kind of having having a conversation because, for example, if I'm having a thought about stuff, I just wouldn't really think to tweet it. I would probably kind of write it down in my, like, whatever uh, app that I'm using that week um, and then not really look at it again because I kind of think to myself that oh, at some point when I get around to writing an email newsletter, I'll think about this a bit more. But maybe the, the solution is then to just kind of tweet out these thoughts like, hey, guys, I've been wondering about this. And, you know, to what extent do people find meaning in being a doctor? And, and, and you know, just the kind of stuff like that uh, might be like, it, it would be interesting. But I also don't know, because the thing with Instagram, for example, is that I don't get a lot of value out of it myself, but I know that building the brand on Instagram is inherently valuable. Um, and so I kind of view Twitter that way as well, that okay, like surely it's a good thing to have 100,000 followers and people, because then when you launch a book, people will buy it and, and stuff. But you're saying that that's not a good way to think about Twitter. I mean, that just seems like a terrible way to live your life, right? Like what you've said now just sounds ridiculously dystopian. <laughs> Like you, what is the point of living your every aspect of your life being in servitude of the future brand that you're trying to build, so you can then like monetize it somehow, right? That's- because when this is your your profession uh, that is making you bear pee and allowing you to live a life a certain sort of, sort of lifestyle, and you, and you don't want the house of cards to crash down, then you have to kind of treat your social media as as a business, kind of like that episode when we talked about treating your personal life like a business. And if you were treating your social media like a business, you certainly wouldn't be kind of just tweeting random thoughts and random jokes here and there. You'd be thinking about what the audience wants and how to increase exposure and how to attract the sorts of people that would be attracted to your sorts of content and therefore end up tweeting fortune cookies because, you know, that's productivity stuff and ending up posting certain things on Instagram. Yeah, look, I get it. But it certainly seems like a tragedy if... I think social media is a pretty incredible and powerful thing and one of the, you know, probably like the the biggest cultural change that's happened in the past couple of decades is literally this thing. And it just seems like a bit of a tragedy if you're sort of extremely limited in how you get to use this because you're sort of too focused on like extracting tangible business, tangible, tangible, predictable business value out of it. Um, you know, you, you can piss around on Twitter, man. You still got Instagram, you still got YouTube. 
Like, I, I don't know. It just seems kind of, it seems like a tragedy if, if this is how you think of everything. Okay. Yeah, you're right. I should, I should piss around more on Twitter. And like, it's it. All right. I, I feel like there are, there are other kinds of value you can get out of things, right? Like you're saying that like, yeah, you're, there's like a world of other kinds of value you could be getting out of say Twitter and to, to like cut yourself off from that just because you, there's only one specific kind of value that you feel like you should care about, which is like the personal brand and like building this business long-term. That also seems like a, a bit of a tragedy, right? Like there's, there's other kinds of value that, yeah, it's harder to put a dollar value on, but certainly in my life, that's like more of the interesting stuff. Yeah. Um, I actually came across a thing, just like a random throwaway sentence in some kind of article, which was talking about this whole uh, hustle, porn, productivity type culture that we we kind of live in, um, and it was it was someone who it was someone who was saying that it's it's okay for it's okay if not everything you do drives economic value in some way or words to that effect, and like that particular sentence really hit home for me because. I feel like in my life, I do think of almost everything I do as, you know, this thing is a waste of time unless unless it's driving economic value in some way or another, or unless it's kind of hanging out with friends and relationships, which is obviously more more valuable. But kind of beyond that, I think that's a big part of why I would have thought video games are a waste of time, because unless you can stream yourself and Twitch and get and monetize it that way, it feels like a total waste of time. Uh, and that's a, a sort of thing that I'm trying to kind of get over. Did we have we had but a then, conversation like, about this in Tokyo? I swear we had exactly did we about precisely this topic where I was trying to rail against you for like being too focused on like producing economic value. We've had this conversation oh, very recently. I swear it was in Japan. It might have been Th- that might have primed me to start thinking about this, and then I came across this tweet or whatever and thought, oh, this is revolutionary. <laughs> yeah, I can't remember what I, I can't remember the specifics of when we we're talking about. It. We definitely talked about this recently, but yeah, I mean, just yeah, I think like. Yeah, you've got plenty of economic value, mate. Start, start having a bit of fun, man. <laughs> Chill out. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I think that's a good point to end this uh, podcast. It's now quarter to midnight, uh, and I still need to edit this thing. Because wait, how how proficient are you at editing um, these remote recordings? Not very. Okay, now I think you can be. But you, you put the tracks into Audacity, you line them up with the claps, and then you get rid of the silences. Fine. Okay, so I'll send mine to you via WeTransfer, and then. You can sort it out and I'm going to go to sleep. All right, mate. Good uh, good to catch up. Good chat. All right. Uh, thanks for listening, everyone. If you got this far, uh, I'm not really sure what we talked about, but oh, well, <laughs> thanks. Thanks for listening and we'll see you next week. <laughs>